Hey guys, this is our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you found us. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about following Jesus, loving God, and serving one another. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com or check out the Clemson Foothills Church YouTube channel. We love learning what God says to us in His Word, and we hope this podcast helps you to do that as well. With all that said, let's dive into the episode for this week. Good morning. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles over to uh, Ruth chapter 2. We're way back there in the Old Testament. You may not have even known there was a book called Ruth. That's okay. We're going to read. We began last week. Um, Got to give you a little bit of an overview, though, before we get started, because sometimes um, as Christians, we have a really hard time reading the Bible. And what I mean by that is, is we sometimes want everything to mean something, like every word to have some specific code or meaning. Um, and we try to read something oftentimes into Scripture instead of reading it uh, really at face value. Why do I say that? Is because here... In the book of Ruth, um, we have a book that's really just a history book, okay? Um, And this, again, can be frustrating for us uh, because in a history book, we don't really have um, any kind of, um, you know, commentary on what's right and wrong, any commentary on moral judgment, you know. So, for instance, last week when we read in Ruth chapter 1, we read about Naomi um, And Naomi was just bitter and cynical and faithless. We read about Naomi and Elimelech as a family going to Moab and raising children who ultimately married outside of Israel. They married women from Moab who were the enemies of Israel. And in all of those instances, there isn't a spot. The writer didn't stop and make a commentary on parenting. It didn't make a commentary on having the right attitude. We're just told this is what happened, okay? And for some people, this is infuriating. Others, you're like, that's cool. No big deal. Uh, But I think it's really important uh, that we do that because um, uh, we just have to realize we're trying to get a big picture. Understand something. In the Bible, the main character is always God. The, the, the main point is always knowing God and following God. Everything is about God, all right, in the Bible. So even as we read the book of Ruth, and we're, we're, we're getting into a few main characters uh, today, Ruth, Naomi, and we're going to meet Boaz, um, it's still not about them, okay? So when the writer wrote this book, when God included this book in the Hebrew Bible and ultimately in our Bible, um, it, it wasn't for us to get to know Ruth or to try to be more like Boaz necessarily, um, it was meant for us to get to know who God is, all right? So again, one of the things I really enjoy doing is um, I think to myself, what would be, what, you know, what would Jesus be teaching me as I read the Bible, as I live my life out, as, you know, if I were to study the book of Ruth with Jesus, what would be the things that he would pick out for me to learn? What would he be reminding me of, right? And so it's really important as we get started today um, that we're thinking um, in those terms from a standpoint of, okay, what does God want me to know about him from reading this and studying this? What am I learning and how is this going to affect my life going forward? So before we read it, we're going to take a minute to pray here. 
uh, and then we'll continue in Ruth chapter 2. So let's pray. Father, uh, thank you. Thanks so much, God, that you uh, are patient with us. God, we appreciate that so much. I, I know uh, it can be, uh, we, we can be stubborn, faithless, impatient, um, conditional. Thanks for being patient with us, but also thanks for telling us the truth. Thanks for expecting us to live out this good news. Thanks so much for that, Father. Thank you for uh, giving us relationships. Thanks even um, when we're quarantined, Father. Thanks that you uh, give us relationships that we can still connect with, either online or from a distance or whatever. God, thank you. You're so generous. You give so much to us. But Father, I pray that as we read your word, that it sinks deeply into our heart, Father. We don't want to be people who just maybe have the right answers, uh, but are self-righteous and hypocritical. We don't want to be that, Father. We really, truly want to be emulating you, learning from you, loving like you, uh, speaking like you. F please make us into those people, Father. And again, thanks for your word. Thanks for the Bible, God. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here. So um, let's jump in and read. We're going to read the entire chapter, and here's the reason why, is again, we want to get a big picture. We want to get an idea of in you know in our mind what was going on at this time okay so remember last week we talked about in Ruth chapter 1 you had Naomi and Elimelech and her sons they go to Moab um, ultimately um, their two sons marry um, two young Moabite women um, the sons die the husband dies and now um, Naomi has come back to Bethlehem because there was a famine, okay? Now she's come back to Bethlehem and she's brought Ruth with her. Like Ruth would not leave her. Ruth, in fact, makes an, uh, just an amazing statement of um, she wants Naomi's God to be her God and she wants Naomi's ways to be hers and Naomi's people to be her people. And so you have this young Moabite girl that's following her mother-in-law back to Bethlehem and we'll pick up there in Ruth, chapter 2, all right? Uh, Ruth chapter 2 says in verse 1, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone who allows me to? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of land belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. Well, the Lord bless you, they replied. And then Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, She's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. She asked us, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and she's remained from early morning until now, except she rested a little in the shelter. And then Boaz went and found Ruth and said to her, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in anyone else's field and don't leave this one. Stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you when you're thirsty? Go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. 
She bowed with her face to the ground and said, Why are you so kind to notice me, although I'm a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father, how you left your mother, your land of birth, and how you came to a people you did not previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you've done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Well, my Lord, she said, you've been so kind to me. You have comforted and encouraged your slave, although I'm not even like one of your female servants. Then at mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and she even had some leftovers. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young man, let her even gather grain among the bundles and do not humiliate her. Pull out some of the stocks from the bundles for her. Leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat what, was, what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Then her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you gather barley today and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law about the men she had worked with and said, The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living or the dead, Naomi continued. This man is a close relative. In fact, he's one of our family redeemers. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also told me to stay with the young men until they finished the whole harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, My daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. And she went home and lived with her mother-in-law. Okay, So, Again, one of the things I'm really going to encourage you guys to do is to go back and continue to read and reread these chapters so you can picture the history that's going on. Because again, this isn't a fable. Um, these are really historical people in real places at real times in our history. All right, this really is the story of God unfolding over time, okay? And so it's really important that we do get that idea of, okay, what's happening right now, okay? And picturing um, Ruth and Naomi and they're back in Bethlehem and Naomi's just feeling bitter and like, you know, one of the statements that Naomi makes is, when I left, God had, you know, I was full. When I came back, I was empty, okay? So you have Ruth's mother-in-law just struggling with some attitudes and some issues and now you have Ruth, um, keep in mind she is a widow. Um, that's already a tough position to be in um, in this particular time. It's tough at any time, but in these times, it's particularly difficult to be a widow um, because you don't have a, any kind of support necessarily. Okay, um, But also, she's not just a widow. She's a foreigner, and she's not just a foreigner. She's from a people a land who have been enemies 
of Israel. So, um, you know, we can think about that in our context today um, of the way we can view people from different countries. And um, it, it was the same back then. There was prejudice. Um, there was racism. There was all of these things going on. So if we can put ourselves in the shoes of Ruth, this young lady, all right, who had been married, you know, we see that she's been married for probably about 10 years or so. And we put our, our, our uh, you know, kind of put our feet in her shoes and we're thinking, man, would this be um, insecure? Would she be a little bit nervous? What would it be like? And she goes to her mother-in-law and she's like, hey, can I go out and gather some barley out in the fields? Okay, can I go out and do that? Because obviously they need to eat, right? I mean, they need food, they need sustenance. And Naomi says, yeah, well, go on out there and be safe, but yeah, go, feel free to go out there. And um, what's really interesting is then you see the story begin to unfold of Ruth going into a particular field who was a relative of Naomi. And I want us to stop right here for a second because there are these big pictures that are jumping out at me as I'm reading Ruth. And in particular, this early, um, you know, this, this, these early chapters here, there's four chapters, but these first couple of chapters, there are some themes that are coming out. Um, that I think are really important, okay? Um, the first one is this, that, that has been kind of gnawing at me, is you never know what's right around the corner. You just never know, okay? Now, here's a benefit me and you have reading the book of Ruth, okay? The benefit is we know what the ending is. Um, the benefit is, is that we know what's happened already. We already know those things. We know that um, Ruth ultimately marries Boaz, and what ends up happening is, is um, the line of King David comes from them. So King David's grandfather is actually born here at the end of the book of Ruth. Okay, so we see that God has taken this young girl and he's meeting Boaz, who's, um, who's a family member of Naomi's, and God is working powerfully. Okay, so... Uh, but again, the thing that's standing out to me just initially is this idea of God telling me and you, you never know what's right around the corner. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Uh, Naomi didn't know when they woke up that morning before Ruth went out to the field. Naomi didn't know that that was the day that this redemption was going to begin. She didn't realize that Ruth was going to go out and this was going to be the beginning of where ultimately a king of Israel was going to come from their lineage. She woke up and had no idea what the day had in store. When Ruth woke up, she had no idea this young widow was going to meet her future husband. When Boaz woke up in the morning, and remember Boaz we think was a much older man, and when I say that it's probably late 50s, early 60s, okay? When he woke up, uh, and presumably uh, he's been single, he doesn't have any children, uh, but we do know here at the beginning of chapter 2 he was a man of noble character. When he woke up that morning before Ruth went to his field, he had no idea that his life was going to change. Okay, And so why I say that is um, this seems to be the way God works in general. You never know what's right around the corner, okay? And you may be saying, well, I do know what's right around the corner. It's going to be bad um, because that's how my life is and that's how things go and things don't go my way and all of this. Um, and partially, um, we're given some hope here, 
to go, no, God is working out his purpose and God is working out his plan. What the story isn't telling me and you is that at the end of the day today, um, God is going to have us win the lottery and our financial problems are going to go away and our problems with our boss are going to go away and life's problems are going to go away. That's not the point here. Um, But we do see God working in a fairly regular way in, in terms of how God works is he's going, you never know what's right around the corner. You just never know what's coming there, okay? Um, Another interesting point, just from this first section here, um, you have Ruth going out to the field, you have Boaz, um, but here's the interesting thing uh, up until this point, is you have um, Naomi, again, as I've shared before, seems to be really struggling uh, with her attitude, seems to be really struggling with some things. Uh, the history of the family of Naomi and Elimelech, it seems like they were struggling a little bit, even raising their children. Um, when you see the nation of Israel, as we talked about last week, this takes place in the time of Judges, all right? And in that time, this was extraordinarily unfaithful behavior by the nation of Israel. People weren't behaving faithfully. They weren't following God. They were actually following the Israelite people, were following all kinds of other gods and nations. And there was just this really chaotic time they were living in. And here's something really interesting, okay, is that God didn't wait for everybody to start behaving perfectly to accomplish his purpose, okay? Now, there's a couple of groups. You're hearing something different that I just said, okay? Um, There's some of you that are hearing that and saying, yeah, that's right. God doesn't wait for us to be perfect, and so we're not perfect, so sin is okay. That's not the point of this, okay? Um, Because God works without waiting for us to be perfect and waiting for our group to be perfect, Um, doesn't mean he's okay with sin and faithlessness. It doesn't mean that. It means that he's transcendent above that. He's he's more powerful than that. He's not waiting for us to have this perfectly lined up organization before he um, achieves his purpose and his plans, okay? Um, Now, there's another group of you guys out there um, that it's really easy to get very cynical and very um, bitter and very critical of other people in the church, brothers and sisters, because you feel like, man, if everybody just got their act on straight, God would begin working. Okay. And we have to remember God's plan and purpose is moving forward. He's going to use the good and the bad. He's going to use great decisions and bad decisions. Um, but I do want us to keep in mind, this isn't a rubber stamp on just being able to live in sin. Okay. That's not what he's saying at all. But he did take a group of imperfect people. He did take this this church of Israel that was all messed up and faithless, and he still is working through that, okay? And this seems to be another norm in the way God works, okay? Let me give you a couple of examples here. Um, In Numbers chapter 20, okay, you can can write that down on your note. You don't have to turn back there. In Numbers chapter 20, um, the Israelites were grumbling. They were getting upset because they didn't have any water. They were thirsty, Okay, and um, God told Moses, he, he said, Moses, go, go talk to this rock over here. Okay, now, now think about how crazy that is. But that was the command. He said, Moses, go talk to this rock, and then water's going to come out of the rock for everyone to be able to drink and be satisfied. 
and Moses was super frustrated at that time. And instead of talking to the rock, which I think for me and I think for you, we would think that would be kind of silly and embarrassing if we're talking to a rock. Moses is like, man, I'm going to hit the rock. And he hits the rock a couple of times. And here's the interesting thing. Water still comes out of the rock and everyone drinks and is satisfied. Okay. Why do I bring that up? Because again, God worked even through Moses's unfaithfulness and disobedience. Okay. And again, God wasn't saying that's okay to behave that way. But God is saying, my purpose and my plans are going to come forth. He's going to work. He's not waiting for us to be absolutely perfect. Now, unfortunately for Moses, um, that disqualified him from being able to go into the promised land. Okay, So sadly enough, Moses had certain consequences, but Moses' unfaithfulness did not um, hinder the accomplishments and the purpose and the plan of God. Okay. Um, you know, you think about um, you think about just these different things. You know, of of just the way that we can honestly think that God is waiting for us to be perfect before He works. And we're seeing here, man, He's working pretty powerfully, um, even in this even in this time of like desperate unfaithfulness, right? Um, and then finally, here as we as we begin to read chapter two. Um, there's this thought that has come to my mind, um, you know, when when uh, Ruth goes out to the field and she meets Boaz. And again, we're looking at the, like this big picture here. OK, we're looking at this just big picture of this historical narrative about what happens. And I keep hearing um, God say, you know, you ain't seen nothing yet. You haven't seen anything yet. And I think that's a really great attitude for us to have. OK, it's really easy to become cynical and bitter and it's really easy to think uh, all kinds of like strange um, critical thoughts um, and I you know this whole story I see God going you know yeah I am gonna take an enemy and use them um, for the line of Jesus because man, you haven't seen anything yet think about the Israelites when they were fleeing Egypt and they came up to the Red Sea and they had no idea that that sea was going to part. And I can just hear God saying, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet. All right. And I think we've got to remember that, boy, when we think that God is limited to a certain way or a certain pattern or a certain, uh, you know, that he's put in a box or a corner, um, we've got to think to ourselves, man, we haven't seen anything yet. This is God who majors in these miracles. This is God who says, man, I'm going to use prostitutes in my kingdom. I'm going to use tax collectors in my kingdom. I'm going to use fishermen in my kingdom. I'm going to use people because you have to, and we have to understand um, that in our thinking, our corporate thinking, oftentimes um, we think that um, the smartest people, the strongest people, the best people, that's who God uses. And he's telling us, no, 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 no. Listen, you ain't seen anything yet. It, it, I'm going to use the enemy. I'm going to use the prostitute. I'm going to use the tax, tax collector. I'm going to use the elderly. Isn't that great? God uses the elderly. We look back at Abraham and Sarah, and we see a guy who's 100 years old and a lady who's 90 years old having a child, and God, again, um, working through imperfect people um, to accomplish his purpose and his plan to save us. Okay, and so when you look at it, we don't really have any excuses. If if I'm thinking, man, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too whatever. 
we're not reading the Bible. We're not seeing that, oh man, as we read this book of Ruth, um, could you imagine, again, I love if Jesus was sitting with us, like physically sitting with us, it's almost like you could hear him saying, like, check that out, man. Check out how I used a Moabite woman, right? Isn't that great? I mean, you could see this over and over and over again as he's saying, man, you, listen, guys, you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what's going to happen this afternoon or tomorrow or the next week that God's plan is going to be coming to fruition, right? Um, he just majors in this. God majors in the idea of you ain't seen nothing yet, okay? Um, now, let's dig into a, to a section here of Ruth chapter 2 um, because this, I think, is particularly um, timely for us, okay? Um, you see here uh, people making decisions, and they really, just like us, don't realize the impact their decisions will will make forever through time. They don't see this. Let me give you some examples, okay? Um, so you see uh, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 8, uh, how would Boaz know when he was treating Ruth with kindness that this was going to be the beginning of something spectacular? So in verse 8, Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go gather grain in any other field. Don't leave this one but stay here close to my female servants and see the field they're harvesting. And I've told the men not to harass you. And when you're thirsty, go get something to drink. All right. How many times do me and you think just a little decision to be kind? All right. And understand something. Um, this was costing Boaz. All right. To have another person in his field taking his grain and keeping in mind um, Israel had just come out of a famine, all right? They had been without food, all right? And so wouldn't it be easy to just hoard your food if you had a field? And keep this in mind, the field probably wasn't like some 40-acre field, all right? These fields were probably relatively small fields, maybe an acre or less, okay? And so when you look at that and you think, you know, here's my produce, this is going to have to feed my family, all right, this is costing Boaz to be kind. This is even faithful. So you have Boaz and he's making this faithful decision that here's this young foreign girl and I'm going to decide to not only allow her to come into my field, but I'm going to protect her. I'm going to make sure that she's not harassed. I'm going to make sure that she has water. I'm going to make sure that she has um, protection even from my other female servants, okay? Really, in Boaz's mind, he wasn't thinking, okay, here's my chance. This is when God is going to give me really great things. Boaz was simply being faithful. Boaz was simply living intently to please God. And I think that's really something for us to think about. Um, we don't know what will happen today or tomorrow or in the future, but think about the impact our decisions make, all right, in this whole story that's unfolding. Um, I think it's so sad to me when I see people leave the faith because they're not getting what they want or they're not feeling how they want to feel or they, or they expect something else and not even realizing that these decisions today could impact children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Decisions make a big uh, you know, a, are, are a big deal here. So you have Boaz and he's decided, I'm going to be kind to this young girl, even though it's going to cost me some food. And then in verse 14, 
at the end of the day at mealtime, Boaz said, well, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. Um, and, you know, he's like, hey, come and have some meal. Come and eat with us. Come and sit at the table. In fact, when Ruth was done eating, she had leftovers to take home, right? I mean, this is a guy who, man, he's just, he's not stingy. He's generous. He's not only just allowing her to take his grain from his field, but he's saying, no, come here. I'd like to feed you as well. And if in your mind you're thinking, well, of course, because he's probably thinking there's this like cute little girl running around his field and he might have a chance with her as this unmarried guy. We're going to see later. That wasn't the mindset of Boaz. We're talking about a guy who um, honestly could be uh, not only her father, but a much older father. Okay. This is a real, uh, uh, distance in age here, okay? So you have, you even have Boaz just having this kind of paternal instinct of, let me make sure that she's taken care of, right? Um, I can't overestimate enough in verse one here of chapter two when uh, Boaz is described as a man of noble character, okay? And I think that in and of itself can be very challenging because um, Boaz was living in a time of significant unfaithfulness. The people around him were not living necessarily according to God. Think about this. Boaz had to tell some of the guys in his work crew, don't harass this girl. Don't assault this girl. That should give us a little bit of an idea of the mindset that Boaz knew many people had going on. He's like, I need to specifically tell them to leave her be, right? so these decisions that Boaz is making, here's something that's a little bit um, just under the surface here, okay, um, is you have um, Boaz treating this young foreign girl well, giving her um, some grain. And for me and you, oftentimes, we don't realize he's actually living out the Word of God. He's living out the Hebrew Bible. He's living out exactly how he was asked to live by God. Okay, so turn over in your Bibles. We're going to see this here in Leviticus. Um, Sometimes it's easy to forget that um, Boaz wasn't just a nice guy. He was committed to living faithfully. He was living to, he he was committed to living faithfully to the Word of God. No matter what anyone else was doing, he was going to do this, okay? Um, So in Leviticus chapter 19, um, this was something probably very familiar to Boaz. Uh, Leviticus 19, uh, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Like, don't go over it twice. Um, Take out of the field what is grown there, but leave the edges. Don't don't take any of of the produce from the edges of your field. Leave it out there and don't go over your field twice, okay? He says, uh, you must not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Rather, leave them for the poor and the foreign resident. I am Yahweh, your God, okay? So you got to love a guy who gets God. He, get, he understands this isn't this legalistic relationship um, through the law. He's actually learned how to treat people, okay? And he sees here that God has commanded the Israelites, don't take all the harvest out of your field. In fact, leave some 
for the poor and the foreigners among you, okay? Um, turn over to Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to get a little bit of a more complete picture even over these next couple of verses. Um, Leviticus chapter 23, uh, in verse 22, uh, Moses writes here, When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap all the way to the edge of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest, leave them for the poor and the foreign residents. So again, you have this second time. God wants to make sure. Listen, God is saying, my people have to take care of the poor and have to take care of the foreigners. And, and to me, when I read things like that, that is such an indictment of, of Christianity today. Um, because I don't think we have this same idea. When we're learning, certainly we're not under the law, but we get to see the heart of God and the heart of God here for the poor and the foreigner, okay? And it just seems so interesting that Christianity can be so far from the heart of God today. And then finally turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 24. And again, we're just seeing here um, the faithfulness of Boaz. Why was he behaving the way he was? Why was he making decisions the way he was making decisions? Um, it's because he was submissive to God. He had laid down his life to follow his father here. So Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, verse 19, again, we hear very similar language. When you reap the harvest in your field, but this time he says, if you forget a sheaf in the field. So when your workers come back in, if they get back to the workshop and they realize, oh man, I've left a bunch out there, okay? He says, don't go back to get it. It's to be left for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Okay, and he goes on, when you knock down the fruit from your olive tree, you must not go over the branches again. What remains will be for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, don't, you must not glean what's left. It'll be for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt, therefore I'm commanding you to do this. Isn't that interesting? There is this large theme throughout the Bible, and I think we're seeing some themes here, but there's this large expectation of God from us, which is don't forget how I've treated you so you can treat others that way, all right? And so here in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God is teaching his people, remember, remember guys, you were slaves. I saved you. And not only did I save you, but I took care of you and you had food and you had clothing and you had protection. So therefore, treat other people that way. When people are foreigners, when people are fatherless, when people are widows, when people are poor, God is saying, remember, you were that way and I helped you as well. So go and do that. So what does all of that mean? Is we have a guy. We have this guy, Boaz, who has decided that he's going to live faithfully. And it doesn't matter how anyone else around him is living. He's a man of noble character. He's a man of deep conviction. He's a man that isn't doing this conditionally, meaning he's not doing this so maybe God will give him something good. He's doing this out of a deep love and conviction for God. And why I bring this up is because I wonder... Could Boaz have known the significance of his faithful decisions? Could he have known 
that he was about to become the grandfather of, or the great grandfather of King David. Could he have known that? Absolutely not. These faithful decisions, we just aren't, we can't be certain how incredibly powerful the decisions we make today can be. So you have, uh, you know, you have uh, this guy Boaz and, um, uh, you know, he just has this heart for God and therefore he has this heart for people, specifically uh, the foreigner, specifically the widow, right? Um, but here's the other thing that stands out to me, kind of large theme here, is uh, what I see in Ruth and what I see in Boaz is you have a couple people and their lives are basically screaming out to God, I'm available. I'm available. I, I want to be used. I'm, I'm here when you need me. I'm absolutely available. Well, how? Okay, well, first of all, I think Ruth teaches us something really interesting about our culture today. Ruth lives a life of unentitledness. And I think that's something we need to hear. This is something that um, will lead Christianity to destruction here, okay, in your town um, as we know it, okay, is this idea of feeling entitled. All right. Where does that come out? Um, it comes out when me and you are offended at people. We're offended at how people may treat us. We're offended at how people speak to us. We're offended because there's essentially this deep-seated entitlement that we deserve something, right? That we deserve to be treated in a certain way. It's a good thing to be treated in a certain way, but as followers of Jesus, the minute we start believing we deserve more, we deserve better, people should be treating us a certain way, Jesus actually told us the opposite. He said, no, you're going to be a servant, and so people are going to treat you like servants. Don't be offended by that, okay? Ruth has this idea of unentitledness. I think when we live a life of feeling entitled like we deserve something, I think essentially what we're telling God is I'm not available for you to work in my life. All right? I'm about how I should be treated. I'm, God, I'm not available Okay, and we see Ruth here, even um, as she's treated kindly, she's like, man, this is verse 10 of chapter 2. She says, why are you so kind to notice me? I'm just a foreigner. All right, it's, it's in her mind, she's like, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve even for you to let me be out here. And, and, and then you have Boaz and his availability to God is coming out really in his generosity and his kindness. Essentially, he's living in a way that he's just telling God, I'm ready, I'm available whenever and however you want to use me. So even if this foreign young lady comes into my um, fields, man, I'm ready, okay, God? I'm, I'm generous. I'm willing to give more. This is going to cost me, but I want to be generous and give what you've given to me and take care of this young lady, right? So there's this idea of really communicating to God a sense of being available. And this may be a really huge deal in your life right now. You may want, I think we all want, if you've decided to be a disciple of Jesus, I think we all want God to use us. The question is, are we available to be used? All right, because if we're so busy protecting ourselves, so busy protecting 
um, our things and our money and our time, and we're so busy protecting everything um, that essentially we're telling God, I'm not available because I'm too busy protecting my life and how people treat me and how people use my things. Here's the deal. We've got to stop telling ourselves a lie that hoarding what we have is responsible. All right, we've got to stop telling ourselves that lie, okay? And what does it sound like in the American culture? It sounds like you need to put a lot of money away for retirement because that's not fair to your children if you don't do that. And that sounds so reasonable and so responsible, but let's really at the same time call it what it is, fairly faithless as well, okay? And again, you may be listening to this and saying, man, that's horrible financial advice but I'm not a financial planner. I'm not being hired by anybody to help somebody's portfolio grow. I'm simply reading the Bible and going, man, Jesus teaches me to trust him, to have faith in him, to where I don't have to hoard my things, okay? I learned from Boaz, this guy who's come out of a famine, and he said, no, come into my field and come and take some grain. And not just a little bit of grain. I'm going to give you gallons and gallons of grain. In fact, I'm going to give you so much, it's going to be unbelievable. And I'm going to feed you from my table. Okay, so I, this is one of the things I'm learning is let's stop lying to ourselves. Okay, I mean, we hoard our time. Uh, we think, man, I can't do anything. When I'm in school, I've got to protect all of my time for all of my work to get all of these things done. And we feel overwhelmed, and we should, because that's a very worldly way of looking at things. Is let me not trust God. Let me trust myself. And let me fool myself into thinking I'm being responsible when I put everything off to the side except my school, except my money, except what I want to do. And we see these guys here, you see Boaz in particular, he's like, listen, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God. He tells me, you want to know what? That when a foreigner comes, you take care of him. You, you feed him. You protect him. You remember that you were a foreigner at one time. Um, you remember that God is the one that sustains you with this produce, right? Um, so it's this idea of, of really dropping um, the attitude of um, entitlement, of hoarding our things, our stinginess, with our things and our time. We've got to stop telling ourselves the lie that, no, 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 we've got to have this like level of self-care that gets so extreme. Um, we're just selfish. And we think that if we can just have more alone time and more me time and more, then we're going to grow and feel better. In fact, that God has taught all of us that to give is better than to receive and he knows us better than even we know this you know we know us um, i see boaz and ruth living in a way you know what i'm hearing from their life is that they're available i see them living in a way that's conditionless all right what do i mean by that um, oftentimes we can put conditions on jesus i'll follow you if you give me these certain things if you make me financially stable, if you give me a spouse, if you give me a great job, my dream job, in fact, if you give me all the things I want, I'll reward you, Jesus, with joy and patience and kindness, and I'll be happy to follow you and all of these things. 
and you see these folks and there is not a condition they're putting on their faith. They're not a condition. You see Boaz, who's an older man, there didn't seem to be a condition on God supplying him with a wife earlier in his life. It seemed like Boaz decided he was going to be faithful unconditionally. Right? And I think that's one of the important lessons for us to learn uh, with this. Um, this idea of living without condition. See the difference? Even we can, we can move into the New Testament and you can see the different people that Jesus interacts with. And you have Zacchaeus, who's a messed up dude, who's a thief, who's a swindler, who's a scoundrel. And Jesus is like, I can work with that guy because he's taken all the conditions off. Uh, he's screaming out generosity. He's screaming out he wants to work with me, all right? Versus the rich young ruler, all right? It's essentially telling Jesus, no, 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 listen, this is going to be too difficult, all right? I have some conditions in following God. I have some conditions that I do what he says and he gives me what I want, okay? And so, again, we've got to examine ourselves. Big picture of this historical narrative, we've got to examine ourselves and to see that these aren't isolated incidents here of God and how he works uh, with Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and her family. These aren't isolated incidents, you know. We see miracles. We see God expressing his grace and his miracles and his power through imperfect people. Every book of the Bible. Um, So again, it's really important for us to get that big picture view and examine, you know, what's my attitude like? Am I living conditionally? Am I just living without hope? Um, You know, it's really interesting. You can read this later in Romans chapter 15 um, in verse 4. One of the things that Paul writes, um, he says, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through encouragement from the scriptures, okay? So he says everything that was written in the past, including the book of Ruth, everything that was written in the past, it was written so we can have hope, um, hope through endurance so that we would keep going, hope through encouragement that we would gain courage from learning these things. So um, this is really cool. Even Paul acknowledged, man, these, these books that were written earlier, they were written so if I'm really feeling hopeless and I'm really feeling desperate and I'm really feeling like God isn't coming through and is God even working? Can God even use anyone? We just have to go as far as this story right here of Ruth and Boaz and we start drawing out these truths of God that are meant to give us hope and meant to give us hope so that we'll endure and hope that we can be encouraged, okay? So as you've realized, this is going to take more than just reading this passage to get these things. It's going to take more than studying this out. This is going to take really an intentional effort um, to dig in and learn, okay, let me learn about God and let me then transfer this into my own life. Let me live in this same model. I, you know, I, I appreciate how Boaz lived. I appreciate that. But again, I'm, we're not trying to be Boaz and we're not trying to be Ruth. We're trying to understand the greatness and the majesty of God. Okay. So in conclusion here, here's what we have. Um, First of all, we have a great blessing because we know the end of the story, okay? And that's very important to keep in mind. Their decisions become all the more amazing 
when we realize they did not know, obviously, the end of the story. We do. We know the end of their story. We know King David's story. We know Jesus' story. We know the end of the story. So that's a great blessing already for us. But it should also challenge how we live our life. Here's what I mean by that. Um, If you're a disciple, um, is your life completely about living faithfully for God's plan and purpose? Is that what every is that all that matters to you? Is not what you can get from God, not how God can prosper you, not how God can make you uh, renowned and well-known, not how God can make something out of us or how can he give us something to make our lives comfortable. We've got to be living and sleeping and eating and breathing God's plan and purpose, okay? Because again, this isn't a story of prosperity for prosperity's sake. This isn't God just giving Ruth and uh, Boaz things. This is God accomplishing his, his eternal purpose. And if we aren't all about that, we're going to be very discouraged, all right? Because we aren't going to see God working. We're going to feel like we're going to become very cynical because we're going to think God isn't working. And we have to remember, no, he is working. But we've got to get on the same page with him for his plan and his purpose um, for people to become disciples, falling in love with him, falling in love with his plan and proclaiming his good news to the world, okay? So...